Uh, today's readings in Matthew. Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in the darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death upon them a light dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus was going throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. That's great. Uh, Back in 1991-92, I was a junior in high school. There was a kid on my basketball team that year who was trying to get into the Naval Academy. And one day before practice, while we're getting dressed, he told us that that one of his uh, physical fitness tests, I don't remember, the, the candidate fitness assessment for the academy was a basketball throw. And what you had to do is go to the baseline of a basketball court and put your knees on the basketball court baseline and keeping your knees parallel, you had to throw a basketball to the other end of the court. So uh, before practice that day, rather than warming up like we probably were supposed to be doing, we spent the pre-practice portion of that day trying to chuck basketballs to the other end of of the court. And every once in a while, somebody would get it kind of to the other end or close, but there was a lot of failure going on. Well, my little cousin, Darren, came out late from the locker room and he's asked what we're doing. And Darren, at this point, is a freshman and a rather scrawny one at that. And, you know, the varsity kids were the ones, you know, throwing the the basketballs and we're making the young kids chase balls. Well, Darren decides he's going to try this with the big kids. And so we're like, oh yeah, that's adorable. Little Darren is going to try to throw the ball like the big guys, right? And, and he sits down or kneels down and he cups that ball on his forearm like this. And with a straight arm, he rears back. And his first try, the ball hit the wall on the other end of the gym, about six feet up from the floor. And 20 heads just turned and looked at Darren like, the heck was that? 
And he looked back at us and he's like, I'm, I'm just as surprised as you guys are. Well, fast forward into track season that year, and Darren was a frustrated triple jumper. And our thrower's coach, who was also our assistant basketball coach, remembered the little basketball toss day. And he came and got frustrated Darren File from the triple jump runway and, and hijacked him. He kidnapped him and took him over. In Kansas, they throw the javelin. Uh, and he said, We're gonna, you're going to practice throwing the javelin. And scrawny little Darren became a three-time state champion in the javelin, a Division I All-American, and he made the finals of the U.S. Olympic trials in the year 2000. And at the risk of comparing my little cousin Darren to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, (laughs) I hope he's not listening to this message on the internet, um, something about the beginning of Jesus' ministry reminded me of that story. Because I can still see little, scrawny, short, compact Darren walking out of of the locker room and trying to kneel down and throw that ball and how shocked I was. Nothing about this kid said, this is going to be a a world-class thrower someday. And there he was. It happened. He also, one time in high school, because the guy refused to move the throwing line backwards, he also once hit a Ford Ranger with a javelin in Gypsum, Kansas. But that's my last story about Darren, I promise. When Jesus steps on the scene, there's nothing about him that would make anybody look at him and go, now that would make a great Messiah. That would make, that looks like the guy who would make all the kingdoms of the earth the footstool under his feet, which is what God says will happen with Jesus. Today, Jesus begins to build his kingdom. Matthew has let us know so far already that he is that king. Through things like the baptism and the ministry of John the Baptist and the temptation. So at this point, if we've been reading along in Matthew, we know he's the king. Today we see the king begin to build the kingdom. And it just doesn't look like anyone would have expected it to look but it doesn't make it any less real. Today, we're going to see Matthew's version of the very beginnings of Jesus' ministry. The reason I say Matthew's version is Matthew intentionally skips a portion of Jesus' life here. If we read the Gospel of John, we know that, that Jesus hung out around Jerusalem after his baptism for a while. And he did things like turning water into wine. You ever hear that? And he uh, had a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus to whom he said this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Matthew skips that because he wants this to be the first thing we see about Jesus' ministry. Because he's going to show us. He, he, only has, he only gets one chance to show us what Jesus does first. And first carries some importance. And so 
Today we're going to see because of where Jesus chooses to minister, we're going to learn something about the nature of his kingdom and his kingship. And the message of the first part of his ministry, we're going to see today and discuss what that means. And then we're going to see what I'm going to call the the main ministry method or the main ministry mechanism of his ministry. The, The thing that Jesus is going to do to build his kingdom. We're going to see those three things today. We start in verse 12, where we see this unique beginning of Jesus' ministry. Verse 12, this is right after the temptation of Christ. In Matthew, we read this. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been in prison, that's John the Baptist, Jesus went into Galilee. Remember, there's a time gap in there. Matthew does not, he never tells us this is a chronological telling of Jesus' life. It's not. It's topical. John the Baptist didn't get imprisoned right after he baptized Jesus. It wasn't like he baptized Jesus and they threw him in the pokey right away. It didn't work like that. Here's what Matthew wants us to know. John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Christ, when he got put into prison, that's when Jesus knew it's go time. That's one reason why When Jesus did turn water into wine, his mom came to him and said, hey, you know, they could really use some wine. Remember what he said to his mom? Hey, it's not my time. Because go time was when the forerunner was taken off of the the ministry field and put in prison. And so now it's time to launch fully his ministry. And the first thing Jesus does, he hears that John has been in prison. It's go time. I'm going to Galilee. And that carries no weight for us because we don't understand the geography. And even if we did, we don't understand the implications of the geography. But check this out. Here's here's Jerusalem right down here. This is what's called Judea, this sort of pink area right here. To even get to Galilee, Jesus has to leave this area around Jerusalem and walk either through, or if you're a good Jew, around this area, which is Samaria. And here's Galilee, clear up here. And Galilee was the sticks. Galilee was the Tulis. Galilee was nowheresville, full of nobodies, as far as these people are concerned. And the fact that Jesus thought, oh man, it's time. I got to kick off my kingdom ministry. I'm going to Galilee. I was trying to think of a way to put that into our language. Here's the best I could come up with. Let's say there's a Nebraskan who decides he wants to be governor. He or she wants to be governor. And they prepare and they prepare and they prepare. And and they say they grew up and they live in like Bellevue or Gretna or someplace right around Lincoln. And then when they decide, all right, it is time. It is time to launch my political career. And they move to like Bridgeport. No offense. <laughs> or they moved to Rushville. Or I, I could have said Imperial, but I didn't want to hurt anybody else's feelings except for... Um, we would think, what a dumb move. People are supposed to move toward the capital to start to become a lead, try to become a leader, not away. Jesus does the exact opposite. He headquarters his ministry in Capernaum. And the the people in Galilee were looked upon 
as being backward, as being lax spiritually, lax morally, lax religiously. They also were not as ethnically pure as people in the real Jews around Jerusalem. Scholars tell us uh, Galilee was about 50% uh, Gentile during Jesus' day. And that's where Jesus launches his ministry. It's where Matthew wants us to see the launch of Jesus' ministry. You know why he did that? Well, Matthew tells us. Matthew says this was done because the prophet, there was a prophet that said, Naphtali, um, that a light will shine um, in Zebulun and Naphtali. Zebulun and Naphtali are two Old Testament areas that match most closely with Galilee. A light is going to shine there. Even back then, people would have been like, Zebulun and Naphtali, who in the world, well, who would go there? Here's why Jesus launches his ministry there. Have you ever felt about yourself? Have you ever felt left out, insignificant, not good enough, forgotten, marginalized. If you said yes to any of those things, not only is Jesus like okay with you, you're his kind of people. He, he left the jet set and the in crowd to go to Capernaum so that the first place he launches his ministry is a place of down and outers and left behinders. Nobody's from Nowheresville. So that no one who ever hears this message could think, well, he wouldn't have time for me. He started with people like you and me. And the cool thing about Jesus' ministry is then from this group, he will get wealthy people like Joseph of Arimathea who are are wealthy uh, religious elites and tax collectors who are wealthy sinners, and prostitutes who are a different kind of nobody. There's just nobody outside the realm of this kingdom. When Jesus launches his kingdom, he goes to a place full of nobodies who are nowhere and says, here's where it all begins. And when he gets there, he begins to preach, to teach. You know, it's not the first thing we see him do today. Matthew tells us, gives us a summary statement of the first half of Jesus' ministry. The first half. And here it is. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. From that time on, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the exact same thing John the Baptist was preaching in chapter 3. Word for word. And the... The main idea of the first half of Jesus' ministry is this. The king is here. The kingdom is closer than you think. Your time to decide whether or not you are in the kingdom is short, and it takes repentance to get into this kingdom. You have to change your mind about certain things. You have to change your mind about what gets you in the kingdom and what keeps you from the kingdom. 
You have to repent of your sin. You have to repent of your righteousness, those things you hold on to. So, well, God's going to be okay with me because Jesus, the first half of his ministry, Jesus is like, I want to challenge your thinking about the kingdom. The reason I keep saying the first half, whoops, I went backwards. The reason I keep saying the first half of Jesus' ministry, if you fast forward into chapter 16, you see the message of the second half of Jesus' ministry. Matthew says this twice, from that time on, this is what we just read, from that time on, Jesus is telling people, repent, the kingdom's here. In chapter 16, Jesus is going to change the message a little bit. In chapter 16, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he's going to go to Jerusalem. He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the experts of the law and be killed and on the third day be raised. And here's why I bring this up. Neither of those things is the whole message. The whole message of Jesus' ministry is summed up in both of those statements. The king is close. The kingdom's here, and your time to decide whether or not you're in or not. It, it takes repentance. You've got to change your mind and decide to be in. But what do you change your mind to? Well, that comes in chapter 16. Jesus tells his disciples, they're going to kill me, and they're going to, like, kill me bad. But I'm going to rise again. And the whole message of Jesus' ministry is, I've got to repent from thinking God's going to be okay with me because I do this and I do that and I don't do that and I'm better than those people. I've got to change my mind about that stuff and understand the only thing I can depend upon to be a part of the kingdom is that Jesus died and rose again for my sins. But for the first half of the book, or until chapter 16, which is more than half, the, the message is going to be Jesus challenging people's thinking about the kingdom. And man, are we going to see that starting next week. So that's the message. Repent. The kingdom's close. It's not open to, every, it's not open to everyone. To get into this kingdom, you've got to repent. That's a crazy way to get into a kingdom. You think about this. In the history of kingdoms and governments, how many people chose which government they were, which kingdom they were going to be a part of? Is that the way it normally works? Or do people, based on where they live, this king kills this king, now I'm in his kingdom. Yesterday I was in this guy's kingdom. Now I guess I'm in that guy's kingdom. Jesus said, this is going to be a choice. You get to choose whether you be a part of my kingdom. That's why he challenges people to repent. That's going to be the message. And then in verses 18 through 25 is where we see his, the main movement mechanism of Jesus' kingdom. In other words, how does Jesus go about, how will Jesus go about building this kingdom? It's for everybody. We've seen that because of where he went. It's for nobody's from nowheresville. It's for the wealthy, it's for the poor, and everybody in between. They have to choose to be a part of his kingdom. They have to repent. And how's he going to go about spreading this message and building his kingdom? He shows us, Matthew shows us by showing us the very first thing Jesus does in his ministry is he makes disciples. Making disciples 
is the first thing Jesus does in his ministry in Matthew. Take a wild guess as to what the last thing Jesus will do in his ministry in the book of Matthew. We don't even have to turn there. The first thing he does is make disciples. You know what the last thing he does is? He tells those disciples to go make disciples so that literally, like literally in Matthew, from the very beginning to the very end, Jesus' ministry is done by making disciples. That's the way this works. And when Jesus makes disciples, he does something. This is, I hope you have your pencils ready. If you're a note taker, this is very complicated. Here's what he does when he's going to make disciples. He asks people if they want to be his disciple. Like he invites them. You know, over the, over the history of Christianity, 2,000 years, most people who have ever become disciples were invited to come and meet Jesus and follow him. I, w- I want to make a point about that this morning because I think in America we maybe have lost that just a little bit. Because here's the model I see. I think we've decided, because asking people, like inviting people, is kind of weird. They might say no, and they might think I'm a weirdo. So here's what we do. Let's, let's build a building. We'll call it the church. And let's try to make it really awesome. Uh, let's have music that people want to come hear. Let's, let's serve delicious, like, mocha frappolatos or whatever those things are called. I, don't know, I just drink black coffee. That's all I want. But whatever that stuff is, like, let's, let's serve those. Um, let's make sure that the, the person speaking, A, doesn't put me to sleep, B, doesn't offend me, and C, doesn't make me miss either kickoff or my tea time. And if we do that well enough, people will come. And it's attractive-based rather than invitation-based. Now, I'm all for having a great building. We're trying to improve ours. I'm all for having great coffee, even though I don't put anything in it, in mine. I'm all for having good music, and I hope you don't think the pastor's boring. Although, if your tea time is slightly afternoon today, you could be in trouble. I just want to put that out there. But listen, that's not the way this is supposed to work. People get invited personally. To follow Jesus. That's the way it's always worked from beginning to end. Jesus, by the way, this is so different even in that day. There were disciples besides Jesus' disciples. Uh, in fact, instead of going to college, if you were studious, you wanted to be educated, you wanted higher education, you would go find someone and you would become his disciple a rabbi, a rabboni, a teacher. But teachers didn't ask disciples. Right? That's the other way around. It was the other way around. If you, you went to a, and found a rabboni that you liked his teaching and you would say, can I become your disciple? 
And he would kind of look at your resume sort of thing and, and decide, yes or no. This is the opposite. Jesus turns that upside down too. He invites people. And again, when he's ready to start his ministry, and he's ready, he's going to be done through making disciples. Who does he start with? The, the elites of society, the best and the brightest, uneducated fishermen from Galilee. If that, these are the people who will change the world. Again, if that doesn't say anybody is qualified to follow Jesus, I don't know what will. So he invites these people, these men, two sets of brothers here to become his disciples. And then, because Jesus knows, here's how I'm going to build my kingdom. He makes them a promise. He says, you come follow me. And then Jesus promises them, and I will make you into someone who does what I'm doing. Invite people to follow me. You follow me and I will turn you into a fisher of men. See there, fishermen, you just use as a little metaphor there. That's a promise that we still have. Jesus says, if you follow him, he will make you somebody who invites other people to follow him. And now, if some of you are feeling where this is going and starting to get really nervous, that I'm going to start telling you, you have got to start inviting people. You've got to start, and you want to like throw up and pass out or something like that. I'm not going to have the deacons pass out paper bags for you to breathe into. Just relax. Just chill for a minute. Jesus didn't say, if you're not inviting people, you, you invite people and then you're following. That's backward. Jesus says, you just follow me. And I'll turn you into somebody who invites other people. I want to explain what Jesus means. You know what a disciple is? This is a definition I came across. This is just a definition of disciple. It comes from, I found this in seminary when I was doing a research project. A guy named Dr. Dallas Willard uh, from USC. He's a professor of philosophy and religion at USC. I don't even know if he's still alive but this is his definition, and it's my working definition of what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who decided to be with another person. Why? In order to become capable of doing what that person does or to become what that person is. A disciple is someone who has decided to be with another person in order to become capable of doing what that person does or to become what that person is. This is what... Uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John were invited into. Now, if you're thinking, there's no way those four fishermen could become capable of doing everything Jesus was, could do or become all that Jesus was, you would be exactly right because he's God and they're not. But, but that's what discipleship is. And here's how this will work. Here's how it worked for those four fishermen. Here's how it worked for you if you decide to follow Jesus. If you decide to be with Jesus. That's first following Jesus is not, I'm going to cut out this stuff. I'm going to start doing this stuff. I'm going to keep these rules. I'm not going to do the no-no things. 
I'm going to do the yes, yes things so good that God loves me. No. First thing about being a disciple, it's to be with another person. I'm going to be with the Lord in his word. I'm going to talk to him throughout the day in prayer because I want to be with him. Slowly, they became, and you will become, and I will become more like the one I'm with. If you move someplace where people talk funny, guess what will happen to you? You'll come back here to southwest Nebraska and people go, why do you talk so funny? And, and you'll be like, what? I don't talk like that, right? And like, yeah, yeah, you do. When you're with somebody long enough, you become like them. And, and you'll never like be able to do the miracles Jesus did. You won't be able to save people from their sins. You won't become God. But listen, here's what you will become. You'll become somebody who sees people the way Jesus sees people. Who loves people the way Jesus loved people. You will see people's brokenness and hurts not as an excuse to stay away from people like that. And you'll see them as somebody who needs what you, the one you know. And then inviting someone to follow Jesus is not so much the, oh gosh, Jesus said I have to do this or I'm not really a follower. It's somebody that's hurting you go, I know what you need. You need to follow the one I follow. You can have a hope that'll never go away. You will still have pain and hurt. But let me tell you what Jesus does with the pain and hurt that I have. And then you're just giving someone what they need and what you know they desire in their heart of hearts, not checking a box that says evangelism. Now I'm evangelizing, so I'm a Christian. No. I'm being with Jesus and he's making me like him. That's how this kingdom is built. These guys accept that invitation immediately. I love how Matthew writes this. Like, when I say immediately, I mean immediately. Check out in verse, uh, verse what is it, 18? Yeah, in verse 18, Peter and his brother Andrew, they're casting nets into the sea. In verse 19, Jesus invites them. Hey, you guys want to come follow me? In verse 20, they leave the nets. Like, they're still in the water. Like, they don't even reel them in. Well, that's immediately. And this can seem, because remember, Matthew leaves some stuff out. This can seem a little weird. Like Jesus just walked along the seashore, like and they've never seen this guy before. And they decide, oh yeah, we'll go, we'll leave everything and follow you. Doesn't that sound weird? This can seem like, hey guys, I got some puppies in my van. You want to come? <laughs> right? That's what it looks like. It's not like that at all. Um, we know from the Gospel of John these brothers knew John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's ministry was pointing toward Jesus. And John the Baptist pointed toward Jesus. He's the one. And all of a sudden they're at work one day. And the one John the Baptist pointed to, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, walked along a beach on the Sea of Galilee and looks at them and they're like, hey, I think that's Jesus. And he says the craziest thing. I want you guys to leave that stuff and come follow me. 
And they had to be like, what? Us? Like, he's like, yeah. I'm going to start with Galilean fishermen. And you just follow me. I'm going to change the whole world through people like you. That's the way this kingdom began. They have to give up what they used to pursue. Even their, their career. But they know Jesus will give them more than they ever imagined. There's a couple of other verses left, 23, 23, 4, and 5. I haven't touched on for time's sake. I want to just go quickly. We're just told in just brief overview fashion of Jesus' other ministry activities. He preached and he did miracles. He healed people. He preached and he healed people. And Matthew, even though we know from the other Gospels that these aren't the first miracles Jesus ever did, Matthew doesn't want to tell us about anything Jesus does until he tells us he makes disciples first. Because this kingdom that he's building is done through making disciples. And then part of his ministry will be things he does for other people, healing and preaching. And that stuff's important too. It's just not like making disciples. And you see a real contrast in these verses and throughout this book. Matthew's starting to draw a contrast that we're going to see through the whole book between real disciples of Jesus and the crowds. If you read through 23, 4, and 5, you'll see throngs of people mobbing out to where Jesus is. Why do they come? Because Jesus can do stuff for them. Heal this. Fix that. I can hear an interesting speaker. People always love it when Jesus lets the self-righteous religious people have it. The crowds follow Jesus because what they get out of it. And man, do I see that. People say, hey, you know what? My life would be better if I had this or that. I'll try Jesus. Maybe, maybe if I try to be a good Christian, I'll get what I want. That's, the, that's what the crowds did with Jesus. Real disciples, Jesus always asked them to leave stuff to follow him. Not get stuff because they follow him. And we'll see that as we go through this book. We're out of time. I just want to summarize what we've talked about to make sure we leave with the main, the main point intact this morning. Jesus Christ, the King, he's been promised to the Old Testament. He's on the scene and he begins his ministry in this passage today. And he begins to build his kingdom not through wars and hostile takeovers by inviting people to follow him. And this morning, I I want you to consider, I hinted at this before we started this morning, before the singing. Every, Every single one of us is pursuing something. Most of us are pursuing more than one thing. In your hardest heart, in your heart of hearts, at your deepest level, at your core, I want to challenge you to consider what it is you really are pursuing. What are you chasing after? 
What do you think will fulfill you? It can be a, it can be a million different things. It can be a sense of belonging. It can be romantic love. It can be money. It can be accomplishment. Accomplishment through work. Accomplishment through school. Accomplishment through sports. I want to do that thing because I want other people to be impressed with me. What do you, what are you pursuing? What are you following? If you answer that honestly, and it's not Jesus, I want to tell you, Jesus is better than whatever it is you are pursuing. Because here's what these fishermen learned. If I follow Jesus, he lays up for me what I cannot ever lose. And anything else you are pursuing, you can lose. That anxiety that you feel because I'm not going to be good enough, I'm not going to make it, I'm not going to have enough, that anxiety you feel is because you know I can lose this. I could not get this. This is what I'm chasing and I may not get there. And you have lots of anxiety. Or he may not say yes. She may not love me. I may lose them. In Jesus, we find the one we follow who will never pull the rug out from under us. What are you, what are you following and is it better than Jesus? I don't know the answer to the first question. I know the answer to the second question. The answer is no. It is not better than Jesus. Secondly, before we leave, I I want to reiterate, you are the right kind of person to become a follower of Jesus. I think I've hammered on that enough. But he demonstrated this over and over again. You are the right kind of person. Third, I'd ask you to consider that there may be something Jesus wants you to give up to follow him. Those fishermen had to leave their boats, their nets, their way of life. Temporarily, there's evidence later in the Gospels. We see him fishing again. But for a time, that stood in the way. Jesus is like, hey, it's either me or that. And I don't know, this may be a different answer for every single one of us, but is there there something that keeps you from being a follower of Jesus? It may be something sinful that Jesus says, you gotta get rid of that, you gotta give that up. It may just be something that's in his place that you need to take off his throne and follow him first. And maybe later on, like these guys, when they got to fish again, let me take it up later if that's scary to you if you think man I could never give that up I could never stop doing that I could never change this and if I do this then people are going to think I just want you to know he is better he is better and he'll see he'll show us in this book he will give back to us way more than he ever asks us to give up it's the greatest trade you could ever make It's the best return on investment you will ever get to give up what you cannot keep 
to gain what you cannot lose. Why don't you pray with me for a minute before we go to the communion table. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for coming as the king and beginning to build your kingdom with people who were marginalized and left behind and nobody's from nowheresville. Thank you for showing us in that way that we are the kind of people you came to invite to follow you. And God, because you taught me that disciples get invited, I feel like I should invite those who are here this morning. If you are here this morning and you have never decided to follow Jesus, you can do that. All you have to do is say yes to him. Lord Jesus, I I pray right now if there is something that you would have someone here give up to follow you. I just pray you'd speak that into the quietness of their heart this morning. And I thank you, Lord, that when we say yes to you and we begin to follow you, you promise us far more than you ever take from us. God, I pray as we follow, you will make us see like you see, love like you love, so that the hurts and, and, the, and the, the junk in people's lives that we see are not signals of people to stay away from, but just, just people who need you, whether it's self-righteousness that we see or self-destruction that we see. lead us as we follow you and make us fishers of men. messages that make up Jesus's ministry in the gospel of Matthew repent because the kingdom's near and then I am going to die and rise again like that's the message of this table this table is for people who, who have repented of their sin and their righteousness and like the disciples repented of being fishermen I guess and changed course and followed Jesus. And then they learned when Jesus was at the the table at Last Supper, I'm going to die. I'm going to let my body be broken, but it's for you. I'm going to let my blood be shed, but it's for you. Because without my body being broken and my blood being shed, you can repent all you want die in your sin if it's not taken care of by me. It's what we remember this morning. That the one we follow, if, if I asked you this morning, hey, you know, what, what, what the, would the Lord have you give up? And it makes you maybe a little angry or makes you a little nervous. You're following someone who gave up everything to invite you to follow him. 
You can trust a guy like that. Before the bread comes around, we pray for it. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving up your body for us. As this bread comes around, we remember that there is nothing you wouldn't give up to gain us. And you are not asking us to do anything that you have not already done because you would give up glory and heaven and your life to follow the Lord and to gain us as your inheritance. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name.